Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello and welcome wherever you are listening, whatever time you are listening. Hello, my name is Joey Rubino and you are listening to the Joey Rubino Show. Um, it's a pleasure to be back on. Oh my goodness, it's been a few weeks. Um, I was planning to do my podcast weekly and I have been a bit lax and slow at, at getting this next one underway and here I am today and um gonna see where it takes us in my flow state of just talking um didn't really know what to talk about of recent um topics of what's going on in my life I turned 13 years sober last week on Sunday and March 1st um 13 years of sobriety free from drugs and alcohol um and as I say that, um, what does sobriety mean or alcoholism mean to me now that I'm 13 years sober? Um, it's evolved and changed and it's very different today from what it was, let's say, when I was newly getting sober and uh, the achievement to distance myself from my addictions, which were for me cocaine, ecstasy, and alcohol um to now be 13 years sober and still needing to work a program still needing to go to meetings still needing to be of service still needing to um work on myself to be awake to be conscious to work a 12-step program to have sponsees that i take through the steps to have a sponsor that i can check in with and run things by to be a part of a community to go to meetings um all these things are part of um what i call my toolkit um tools that i've picked up along the way of sobriety and have needed to in order to stay sober um there are many aspects of what keeps me well um one of them is to feel connected and be a part of a community um johan hari say says it says it quite well in his ted talk he ends his speech so perfectly and he says the opposite of um addiction isn't sobriety it is connection and when i heard that i was blown away because it I hadn't crossed my mind, but as I heard it, I knew it was so true for me. Um, and it's true. It's it's something that I struggle with and don't find effortless. Um, it takes work for me. Um, I'm very much an introvert. I've shared that before. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, so being 13 years sober, what does that mean exactly? 13 years of sober of drugs and alcohol, it means for 13 years consecutively, every single day, I haven't touched a drink or mind-altering drug um, that has not been prescribed um, that has changed me from the head up. And um, yes, I feel that's an asset of mine and an achievement that I'm truly proud of because um, it's the one thing that I've done constantly in my life that that I... Yeah, I I have done and... Um, has been, yeah, has just been part of my life, I guess, as I, as I think about it. Um, so you would think that, you know, um, someone that doesn't suffer, suffer with addiction and, um, would ask, are you still going to those meetings? Are, you know, almost in the way that aren't you fixed yet? Aren't you healed yet? Aren't you better yet? Um, can't, you know, 
are you not able to drink now like a normal person? And I don't have that luxury. It's, it's, it was never the drink or the drug that was a problem. The drink and the drug for me, um, when I was using them and when they were working, were my solution, right? To treat my, my thinking, to treat my mind, to treat my disease, my unease in the world. Um, this feeling of just not being able to live life on life's terms, this feeling of not feeling a part of, this feeling of feeling disconnected, this feeling of... Um, just not feeling like I, I belong. And um, I can root this back way into my childhood. You know, um, the earliest memory I can think of, of feeling different to my peers um, as a kid was um, back to <laughs> school uh, when I was a kid, probably probably as early as four or five when I started primary school and the teachers would call out my name. My, my birth name is Giuseppe, Giuseppe Rubino. And, um, you know, no teacher would ever say, especially when you start a new school, would ever say your name correctly, uh, my name correctly. It was almost Juicip, Gyps, Gispy, um, you name it. They would say it all and they wouldn't say the right name. And, you know, they would always say on the register the names in alphabetical order. So you knew when your name was coming up. And I was almost like cringing and closing my eyes and and squeezing every muscle in my body out of out of fear that they were going to say it wrong. And then other children laughing and how in my head that was magnified to such an extreme that they were laughing at me like there was something wrong with me. So um, you can, for me, that early on, it was never about me. Those kids weren't laughing at me. I know that and rationally I can understand that today. But in those moments of growing up, everything, the light was pointed towards me and everything was about me and I made everything about me. And that was part of my, my ism, my alcoholism, my addiction at the age of four or five or, and throughout my life prior to a drug and, or any alcohol touching my lips. And so, you know, I grew up very much like that. And we all have a story, right? We all have our traumas. Everybody has trauma. Um, I don't think that's exclusive to someone that's an addict or an alcoholic or someone that suffers or struggles with addiction. Um, I think that trauma is just part of life. Um, and um, it's how we cope with those traumas and how we are able to overcome them. And um, so my story for me is different to everyone else's, yet it's the same. Um, it's different in the sense that obviously your name isn't Giuseppe unless it is, but, you know, and you might have not had that same reaction having come from an Italian family living in the United Kingdom um, where most people are primarily English and um, you felt different to your, your counterparts. Um, and so, you know, from that, I was also very different in school. Um, I'm gay, and being in school, I found that um, as a boy, I didn't gravitate towards wanting to play football, which is soccer, um, with the boys um, in the playground. And actually tended to hang out with the girls, and I didn't even know there was anything wrong with me at the time. Um, I was far more into jumping rope and... and um, 
um, just hanging out with girls from as early as I can remember. I never played with the boys. I was always playing with the girls and in the playground at break times and lunch times. And, um, you know, so, you know, and I get bullied for being a sissy or, a, you know, whatever, every, every name you can imagine uh, for being different to the other boys um, and not really understanding why. Um, I think I was bullied for being gay before I even knew I was gay, even in secondary school as a teenager. Um, we didn't really have those kind of conversations at home. So, um, you know, I had to kind of figure that kind of stuff out for myself. So being bullied um, at the age of, th of 13 for being gay, um, I, in my mind at that age, thought being gay was drag queens. Um, and... That was it. So I didn't think I was gay. Um, I just, I knew I was different. Um, I knew that having started physical education PE, um, you know, in the showers, I'd be curious about seeing other boys and knew that there was something quite wrong with that for me at the time. Um, and I grew up in the suburbs of of London. So even being gay, even in my late teens, just was not something that you could easily um share without being um beaten up or bullied or or terrorized um i think one of the earliest traumas about being gay for me was just there was this one boy i was i was probably about 15 um and i was more feminine as a teenager uh, than i am now and um, thinking back, I think it was pretty obvious to a lot of people that I was gay. Um, and there was this one kid that just wouldn't let it slide. And he was younger than me. He was, um, when I was 15, he must have been about 11 or 12. So he was in secondary school or so. And um, I just remember, so he wasn't even in my year, but he would see me in the corridors when the bell would go from from registration to then go to your first class or next class after break. And if he'd cross me in the corridors, he would b embarrass me, berate me, call me gay slur names of all sorts and um, just ridicule me in front of everybody. And I... Um, I just remember the hate was never really towards him. I kind of agreed with his anger and frustration and hate towards me and hated myself as much as he hated me. And it was internalized and it was this shame and it was this um, self-loathing that really just kind of infected me from even that age. So, you know, I tell you these stories and your story, again, if you're suffering with addiction, might be completely different to mine, but the feelings are the same. So you might not be gay. You might not have the the foreign name. You might not grow, not have been someone that grew up in a country that where, you know, your origin was different and so on and so forth. So again, all the things can be different, but but the feelings of of loneliness and um, 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 trauma are the same. And so um, moving past that, what I found was that, um, you know, I was always looking to, um, what's the word? I guess, um, 
do geographics. So when it was when secondary school was over, I didn't go to a a higher level of education, which was close to where I lived, which is what most kids my age in my suburb would do. Um, and, and a lot of suburbs in the UK, you know, you would go to sixth form or college um, very close to home, which would be convenient and which would make sense. But um, <laughs> I decided I would go um, probably about an hour train ride away from where I lived um, to a place called Harlow um, in Essex and um, to study performing arts. And um, you would think studying performing arts that um, I would be surrounded by gay fellows um, studying my craft. However, um, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And so I, th in my head, without even realizing subconsciously, I was thinking that all I needed to do was get away from there and get away from that mentality of all these people hating me for, for being gay to going to this other place. And never once in this process did I ever admit that I was gay. Um, and so I went to, to college in Harlow and pretty much, like I said before, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And um, that's that was my experience. I went to college and found that um, I didn't fit I didn't belong and all the same problems that I had in school followed me because I was still the same person um and it was probably looking back it was more not that I was gay that was the issue I was inauthentic I was living a lie and if people couldn't figure it out, they just knew that it was something that wasn't quite right about me. And therefore, there was this inability to truly, authentically, organically connect. And so any relationship I had was inauthentic. And any relationship I had was um, out of desperation, really. Um, desperation for you to just like me, even though I wasn't invested in you but um, I needed you to approve of me. And, you know, being in denial of being gay, I um, tried to navigate through college. And again, it caused just more suffering, right? This, this suppressing who you are and pretending to be something you're not and, and just feeling like you're not worthy or you, you aren't enough as who you are and having to live a lie and having to remember the secrets you tell, the, the lies you tell of where you've been or what you're doing and, and you know, who you're into and all the other stuff and this facade and, you know, it was exhausting. And um, I got through college and, um, um, you know, after my college days, I got my first job in a local cinema and that's where I met my first ever best friend, um, someone that liked me for who I was, even though it wasn't about being gay. Again, in denial, he didn't know I was gay. I didn't really know that I was getting into a friendship with him thinking that I was going to ever fall in love with him. I just loved the fact that this human being liked me and made me feel enough. Um... And we built a friendship over the course of a few years, actually. We became best friends. We played guitar together. We smoked. I smoked my first cigarette with him. We hung out at the park, just watching the nights go by and just talking about whatever and just enjoying each other's company. And 
for the first time in my life, I was just happy to exist and happy to be alive and happy to feel a part of. And, you know, the more time passed, the more I was falling in love with this human being. And, you know, um, fast forward, um, I don't really want to go into too much detail, but um, that relationship didn't work out in the sense that, you know, I'm gay, he's straight, and um, I fell in love with him. Um, There was a lot of trauma around how that fell apart even intertwined with my own family and um i used that to blame them for um the sadness of that that coming to an end um and so where am i going with this i share with you the um for the majority of my life i i feel like i i I lived a lie and I lived an inauthentic life and it caused me a lot of depression, a lot of suffering, a lot of anxiety, a lot of discomfort, a lot of self-loathing, a lot of shame, which comes with a lot of people that suffer with um, internalized homophobia around being gay. Um, You know, people hating me for being gay. I didn't hate them for hating me. It just made me hate me even more because I kind of agreed with them that there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't lovable, that that I was defective, that I was broken in some kind of way. And so, um, you know, fast forward, you know, you go through life, you overcome these hurdles of sexuality, you start to have relationships with people that want relationships with you that are of the same sex and that you're attracted to and they're attracted to you on and so on and so forth. And you start to navigate through what you want out of your life. I chose to emigrate to the United States and live in Los Angeles and start a life here where I felt a bit more connected to gay fellows, um, which in theory, should have just been an easy next phase for me. But in fact, you know, the internalized homophobia didn't go the moment I came out of the closet. It was more a case of that um, there was a lot of work that there is a lot of work that I'm still doing today um, that I'm trying to overcome to be okay with my kind, (laughs) if that makes sense. and it still creeps up and it takes a lot of work to not be embarrassed of um, things that a lot of gay people love. Um, and I'll give an example, like the RuPaul drags race or all the stereotypical gay things that, that I don't fit into that category of overtly gay, overtly feminine, overtly um, whatever it is, glitter and, and, and rainbows and unicorns and whatnot. Um, I'm just a guy that happens to like guys and I don't want to have to necessarily camp it up inauthentically in order to fit, feel like I, I can fit into my true tribe. Um, and so there's this feeling of just limbo state of I don't belong really in a straight community. I don't feel like I belong in my gay community. And so where do I belong? So, you know, I, I've always felt like this, this, you know, like a, a, a horse or a donkey that has a carrot hanging in front of them. That's like, go this way. And, you know, you'll get the carrot and you keep following. and You can never get to it because it's hanging on a string in front of you. I almost feel like that's what it's felt like. Life has felt like for me. Um, in, what's the word? Um, 
just in general, I guess. And um, thinking that when I get whatever it is that I think I need in order to be okay, I'll be okay. And I'll finally feel like I fit. And it's that missing piece of the puzzle. And whenever I get what I think I think I need, um, I'm always disappointed because that's not it. And <laughs> so I'm like this lost puppy. Um, and so I came to the United States. I got sober um, back in 2007. Um, and I didn't lose everything the way some people can. I didn't lose, um, a home, a job, uh, um, friends and family. Um, I just, I think I was just emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. I didn't have anything left the light was so dim for so long and I needed to, to change drastically because I think I was just on the verge of dying. Uh, I felt like I was so close to death towards the end. And so, um, getting sober was, um, a chance to turn my life around. And initially I'm not going to lie. Getting sober was never about, um, um, this desire to stop drinking and doing drugs. It was a desire to go somewhere where I could connect with people, to have a space where I just remember my first meeting and I don't remember who spoke, what they said, um, who was there, but I just remember feeling like, oh, I'm in this space where people are being kind to me, people are interested in me and people want nothing from me. And for the first time in a long time, I felt safe and um, I was attracted to that. And I kept going back. And um, before I knew it, um, I started to make friends and was attracted to that initially more so than the program or the 12 steps or doing any of the work. And, um, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And it took me a long time to get through the steps. And um, I... Um, found that over the course of time in my recovery what it is is that I I'm starting to understand that my problems that I came in with of this obsession of using drugs and alcohol to numb me to make me not feel to make me feel like I could live life on life's terms um I could take those things away and I was starting to feel, be okay with not having those things as my um, forms of being able to survive in life and I could replace those with healthy tools, i.e. the 12 steps, connection with other people, going to meetings, working a program, um, uh, which allowed me to um, start to feel like I had purpose again and my life could have meaning and... Um, I could fit and be a part of a community and a tribe and and um, connect with others and just be a part of in some kind of way. Um, so uh, the reason why I share that story with you and maybe not as effectively as I would have hoped um, is that um, my problem my recovery my recovery to drugs and alcohol it was never 
just about drugs and alcohol right they were but symptoms they they treated my problem and when they worked like i said before they really worked and that's why i chose to use them and um when they stopped working is when i needed to either up my antes and find a stronger drug or um hit rock bottom and find a, a new solution and um so um 13 years later here I am um I haven't done these 13 years perfectly there's been a chapter in, in my recovery where I've been dry and being dry means where um you haven't had a drink or a drug but neither have you worked a program you haven't gone to meetings you haven't had a sponsor you haven't been of service to others you haven't been giving back and um you know, being a dry, dry drunk is like just being an angry person all the time, angry at life, angry at everything and just miserable. And anyone that comes in your <laughs> wrath um, is just like, uh, you're just, you're not good to be around, put it that way. Um, so fast forward, um, Today, I do work a program and I, I feel really healthy for it, right? I What do I do on a daily basis that makes me well and makes me... See, the thing about recovery is that you don't get uh, recovered from drugs and alcohol and then you're fixed, right? It's um, My recovery is um, a daily reprieve contingent on, on my... Um, my my spiritual connection, my spiritual um, condition. So if I treat my, my spiritual malady, then, um, I'm given a daily reprieve. Uh, what does that look like on a daily basis? It means that when I wake up, I choose to, um, pray every single day. I meditate. Um, I say out loud a gratitude list and I say at least 10 things that I'm grateful for before I can get up and start my day. Um, what does my prayer look like? My prayers are for um, allowing myself to be in alignment with the universe, my higher power, God, uh, whatever you wish to call it. And um, just to have purpose to give my life meaning for the universe to give me um, things I can handle, to allow me to trust that I'm taken care of, to allow me to be useful and purposeful and have impact and make a difference in people's lives, to be a vessel of love and light, to um, make a difference to others, um, to serve, to... Um, what else do I pray for? To, to live in... I call it God, to live in God's will and not mine and trust that it's okay to have dreams and aspirations and that ultimately I'm taken care of and um, I need to pray for the will of my God rather than my own and that I can carry out whatever it is that I need to carry out in order to be a part of life, a part of the wheel, um, almost like a spoke of the wheel, right? There are many parts of it and um, I'm just one of them. Um, it's almost like... Um, I'm way more powerful realizing that I'm just a wave in the ocean as opposed to not just a wave in the ocean, sorry. On the surface, it looks like I'm just a wave like many of us or all of us, right, with all these waves, but we're all part of the one ocean. So when you go deeper, we're all connected. We are all one. We are all part of this one thing, the sea. And, um, and so... 
I, my prayers start there. My meditation is for 20 minutes. I meditate, focusing on my breath and allowing um, my download to come. So my prayer is, prayer is me talking to God. Um, and then my meditation is me listening. And then my gratitude list, I try and keep it um, as fresh as I can. A lot of my things that I'm grateful for can be the same and come up quite a lot. Um, I always start with my on my gratitude list the first one is is god uh the second one is always being sober the third is my mom my dad my sister uh my brother-in-law and my nephew logan um and then i reel off my friends and then i reel off um things that are precious to me in that day and they can change from day to day and it could be something like um the blue sky, um, the card I got in the mail from my sister yesterday, the um, the smell of the, the shower gel that I'm using right now. I'm grateful for my fish. I'm grateful for candles. I'm grateful for birds and butterflies. I'm grateful for my hike in the morning. I'm grateful for the coffee today as it tastes extra good today and I don't want this cup to end. I'm grateful for the people in my life. I'm grateful for um, my car. I'm grateful for my finances. I can take care of myself right now despite not having much work right now. I'm grateful for podcasts. They inspire me and and lift me and and give me um, inspiration. I'm grateful for Audible um, and the books I get to listen to. I'm grateful for my workouts. I'm grateful for... um, you know, I can go on and on, and I could literally go on, uh, but I don't want to bore you too much, but just uh, an insight into what gratitude looks like for me. Um, so once I've done my prayer, my meditation, my gratitude list, I can start my day. Um, most days I do go to a meeting, an AA meeting, a 12-step meeting, an NA meeting, or an SLAA meeting, um, whatever that is appropriate for me or whatever I feel that I want to go to. But AA tends to be um, my primary meetings that I go to. Um, I will connect with other fellows, um, connect with my sponsee if necessary. If he needs to reach, speak to me, I'll definitely get in touch with him. Otherwise, just a text. He tends to text me his gratitude list regularly. Um, I can connect with my sponsor if I have things come up for me. I um, I try and be of service not only in the AA community but in life. So I want love just to pass through me, right? I want it to flow through me. I want to be able to, you know, I used to I used to want love to come to me, and I'd want it just to come to me and stop at me. I didn't realize that that's not how love was ever intended. It should just pass. It should come in through me and pass through me onto the next. So I'm just allowing love to flow. Um, I'm supposed to love anyone that's in front of me, um, even people that annoy me or irritate me and that I don't understand potentially. Um, You know, and we all have those people, you know, that we don't understand that might be different to us and might actually not even be about them. It's almost like what they represent to us. It might be um, someone they remind us of or an experience that's happening out in our past that has been traumatic or or negative for us and um, if they represent something that correlates with that we tend to dislike um, or I tend to dislike someone or something about someone and 
it's not even them, right? It's uh, it's a bit deeper than that. And when I pause to think about it and realize, oh, their behavior isn't, you know, all of us, we all have these idiosyncrasies, these things that make us us, right? And um, some things on other people we, we can look at and find really annoying, or I can. And then I have to realize that they too have a story. They too have come from somewhere. They too have um, had to experience life and trauma. And that's ultimately made the human that is being presented in front of me in this moment. And how can I choose to see the innocence and the beauty and the love in them? And by granting them that love, I allow it to be so with me too. Um, so I don't get it perfectly um, I don't do it perfectly and I don't get it right every day. And I have to remind myself constantly, 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 God, just, you know, whenever I start to spiral or get crazy or get irritated at traffic or the person in front of me or the way someone's behaving or being too loud or, or getting in my space or, or not being conscious of my needs, um, I can pause and rather than play victim, which never, ever, ever works out well, never serves, and I mean, never makes me feel good. And yet, <laughs> that's always a justified place I want to go to. It's so weird. It's such a, such a mess <laughs> that I would choose to want to be right rather than happy. I would choose to not forgive or allow someone to not be perfect in order to justify my righteousness and point the blame and tell you where you're going wrong as opposed to just focusing my energy on how I can be better in the world, right? Um, that's where my power lies. So wasting my power and my energy on trying to point out where everyone else is getting it wrong does not serve me, does not serve others, and does not make me feel good. Um, so that is um, sobriety, alcoholism in a nutshell for me. Um, um, what else can I tell you? So yeah, that's day to day living sobriety 13 years later. And like I say, I'm, um, time, it does not reflect or time is a great, like, um, I guess what, what, what am I looking for? It's a, it's, it's great to, to, point out to a newcomer or to someone that might be suffering that this can be done right that you can go with through life without having to revert back to an old way of living that no longer serves you and and you know i am grateful for the people that are ahead of me with more time than i that show me that i too can get to where they are and give me hope as i represent those behind me the same thing i hope um and just to carry the message and to um, just be a part of this bigger thing. and um, But my point being is that just because I've got 13 years of sobriety, it doesn't mean the more years I have, the more evolved I become, the better I become. I can still have a shitty day or be um, <laughs> with 13 years of sobriety in a moment, have less recovery in me in a moment than someone that has a day or 30 days or a year or a few months or whatever it might be. You know, our length of time isn't a, a, a representation of how sober we are. What is sober really? It is, 
it's the work that we go we undertake right and it's not something that you keep accumulating it's 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 like a muscle i have to work it for it to stay strong and a perfect analogy which would make it easier for you to comprehend would be like going to the gym i can't go to the gym for a few years get the body of my dreams and then stop going to the gym and expect the body to stay it is you know it's something that i have to continually work on and some weeks are better than others and sometimes i get it perfectly right and sometimes i'm looking really fresh and really good and sometimes even though i'm putting in the work it doesn't feel like it looks as fresh or is as good but i still keep going and i still keep doing the work and i still trust right and some sometimes you know we're a little bit off and um and so that's my representation it's almost like it's it's work it will always be work it will be work until the day um i leave this planet and i'm okay with that and um i'm okay with doing the work and um in hope that my life is of value and of quality um i don't choose to or want to live a life where i'm asleep or or just settled or just wanting to um s- kind of sink my life into television or shows or whatever it is as a form of escapism um just waiting for life to pass me by i um i want my life to be much bigger um i want to make a difference in, in as many people's lives as possible i want my life to have meaning and purpose until the day i die i don't want it to ever stop and if that means that looks like work to others that's okay to me i i i think if it wasn't that way I, i would have an issue with it and therefore i don't judge those that that do want to live a life where they just kind of settle and just chill and and just you know kind of have a a smaller role at life it's just not the life that i want for me and um i hope and i pray um that um the universe continues to reveal to me what my purpose is here um there are days where i feel lost even today even now where i'm unsure of where i'm going or what i'm doing and um and what my real purpose here is um i sometimes wonder if i even know who i am um and i'm really sitting with that at this point in my life i'm like who am i why am i here what am i doing who am i why am i here and so that's where i'm at <laughs> i hope this podcast has been of use to you and has um um inspired you in some kind of way um remember life is never one way it continues to be beautiful ugly good bad happy sad beautiful ugly hard easy happy sad beautiful ugly beautiful ugly hard easy hard easy and it just changes all the time it's never constantly one way thank god have a beautiful day thanks for listening